the VCA Voice podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Marie Curl. Our goal with the VCA Voice is to showcase how VCA Animal Hospitals is taking care of the future of veterinary medicine. We'll bring our purpose to life through meaningful conversations about care, our culture, and the communities we serve. On today's episode, I'm happy to welcome Dr. Dickon Westworth. Dr. Westworth is a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine in Neurology and is a neurologist at VCA Animal Care Center of Sonoma County. And he's also leading efforts in clinical sustainability in veterinary medicine. Welcome, Dickon. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you, Marie, for having me. I'm really excited to be here and to share my passion for improving sustainable practice in veterinary medicine. Well, you and I had a really interesting conversation recently, and I know that people are going to be very interested in what you have to say and also in your background. So I'm going to jump right in and would like to start with hearing about your journey in veterinary medicine and when did you first know this was the path for you and where did you train? So uh, I did my vet degree at the University of Melbourne, Mm -hmm. graduated back in 1995. And initially I was pulled into veterinary medicine because I wanted to work with wildlife, particularly primates. And I read Diane Fossey's and Jane Goodall's memoirs. And although initially I worked in small animal practice after graduating, this was really just to gain clinical experience and (laughs) fund my travels. (laughs) But I soon fulfilled my dream and I went to Uganda and worked alongside a collaborative group of individuals headed by a vet tech, Debbie Cox, who was part of a Jane Goodall Institute project. And we translocated confiscated pet trade and circus entertainment chimpanzees to an island sanctuary called Ngamba on Lake Victoria. And you can still visit the island today. Well, that's really fascinating. So Uganda is a long way from becoming a neurologist. So tell me about the next step of your career and what eventually brought you to veterinary neurology and to VCA. Yeah, so it was a pretty circuitous path. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> so in early 1999, I was visiting UC Davis, mm-hmm. spending a month at the National Primate Research Center to learn more about primate medicine. And when the Ugandan Chimpanzee Mountain Gorilla Park, it's called the Brindy Impenetrable Forest, that I just started to commence work in, was hit by a drunk group of Hutu militia. Mm. And many park staff and tourists were killed. Wow. And the park was shut down and I couldn't return. Mm. Fortunately for me, I was offered a position at the Primate Center and I accepted a residency in primate medicine. And then as a resident, you get to uh, visit some of the other specialties. So uh, spending time on clinics with a neurology service, I fell in love with neurology. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. so then I did a neurology residency and graduated in 2006 as an ACVM diplomat and began work at the Animal Care Centre of Sonoma County, which later became VCA. And I have remained there ever since. I bet that your primate work actually, given so much comparative medicine and structure and the neurologic systems between other animals and primates and human beings, was actually an asset to your training. Oh, absolutely. It certainly garnered me with a passion for all animals and the environment. And so that kind of then took me in other directions like this one today. I would really love to spend a lot more time talking about veterinary neurology because it's a fascinating specialty, but I really want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about your passion for sustainability and how to improve sustainability in our VCA hospitals. 
What was the moment that you had a wake-up call to embrace sustainability in your life? So the, there wasn't necessarily one wake-up call. Um, I guess that, that true wake-up call came a little bit later, but I'd always been very concerned about the environment and our impact. Right. My father brought me a Scientific American subscription when I was in high school, and I was devastated by articles on acid rain and, and the early signs of global warming. And that was part of my push to wildlife and environmental work. And I kind of lost my way a little bit as a new father working in a very busy specialty private practice, but was always concerned about the amount of resources I used and waste I created practicing medicine. And I guess my wake-up call was when I was brought back down hard to earth when sitting in congested traffic during my commute, listening to a fantastic book that I'd recommend people read called Under the Sky We Make by Dr. Kimberly Nicholas. And she's a climate scientist originally from Sonoma. You know, and she made it really clear that we're in the midst of a climate crisis, but much of the world is just not listening to the thousands of scientists and IPCC reports, or at least barely engaging in doing something about it. So I did my carbon audit with a carbon calculator, mm -hmm. and I was really devastated by my impact. And yep. then I repeated the calculation using those mitigative measures she had outlined, and I was equally amazed at my reduction. So... You know, with my wife, who's also a veterinarian, and now my grown children, who were really instrumental to propelling me to a more sustainable way to live, we made some of these changes. And now I live sustainably at about four to five tons of carbon a year. Now, Greta Thunberg may disagree and insist <laughs> on closer to one ton, mm -hmm. but this is about the best I can do for now. So out of curiosity, when you first measured your impact, so if it's four to five tons now, where did you start? Oh, I was at 38. Wow. Yes. That's amazing. So when we spoke previously, you shared some broad overview of major areas of sustainability. Can you summarize those for our, our listeners? Yeah. So sustainability is a mindset. It's a way of thinking about the world in a different way. A sustainable business looks beyond a classic profit loss statement's net profit, which is considered like the single bottom line, to a triple bottom line. And this was first espoused by John Elkington back in, I think, 1994. And it kind of looks at people or the social health aspects, planet, the environment, and profit economics. And this accounts for the social health and environmental cost of doing business in a world with finite resources that get ever more expensive and environmentally ruinous to extract as they dwindle, as well as the associated costs of water, waste, and pollution. So this considers our entire ecological footprint. For simplicity and easier accounting, we often just consider carbon equivalent emissions throughout the entire supply chain of products. We need to change from the old school of this linear economy model, where we take sort of resources known as a cradle through manufacturing use to this discard grave, to a sustainable circular economy that strives to limit that resource extraction and waste discard and instead maintains biological and technical materials within a reuse, repurpose, repair, recycle circle. Mm -hmm. Now, for a troubling fact, in the US, healthcare creates about 8.5% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So let me break down the causes of those emissions so you can determine how to reduce them. Broadly, one can consider breaking emissions down into three areas or what we call scopes. Mm -hmm. So scope one is comprised mostly of direct on-site greenhouse gas emissions like gas heating furnace or in healthcare, 
WAGs or waste anesthetic gases. Mm -hmm. Scope two is an indirect source of greenhouse gas emissions, um, particularly from electricity. It would be zero if carbon-free renewable like wind or solar versus carbon producing from a gas or coal plant. Mm -hmm. And these scope one, two emissions comprise approximately 20 to 30% of all greenhouse gas emissions in healthcare. And then we come to scope three, and these are the more deeply embedded emissions, particularly waste, things like travel of clients and staff to the practice or flying to conferences, food, and that's a huge one, mm-hmm. pharmaceuticals, medical supplies, devices, you know, administration, you name it. And these scope three emissions are the hardest to reduce as requires a lot of knowledge of upstream and downstream factors on the supply chain. And so these have to be really carefully considered. And Colorado State and Vet Sustain from the UK have procurement guides that are constantly being updated to help facilitate less impactful purchasing. And um, if you like, I can provide those links later. Oh, perfect. I'm sure we'll be able to put those in the show notes. So you've worked directly with your hospital team at VCA Animal Care Center of Sonoma County on a number of sustainability initiatives. Were there challenges at first to engage your team or were people really enthusiastic about jumping in? Yeah, so um, as with many demographics throughout the U.S., it's, it's pretty mixed. So, you know, I realized that there were going to be likely variable attitudes amongst the staff to anthropogenic climate change and living and working sustainably. So I started the engagement with a presentation to provide a grounding in evidence-based scientific knowledge. And I introduced the concept of anthropogenic climate change, where I laid out first the degree of the problem and why we should care. Mm-hmm. Then we went on to accounting of the problem with carbon literacy and finally discussed methods to mitigate this problem by practicing sustainable veterinary medicine. And the few that attended um, <laughs> did become the core of our sustainability team. Mm-hmm. And their enthusiasm is truly infectious and slowly has allowed the continued rollout of many of our programs. And I you know, want to highlight small steps and wins should be loudly and visually celebrated because then the staff see the rewards of the efforts and then you can build from there. And it's really important to engage with all areas of the hospital, not just veterinarians, but the tech staff, CSRs, particularly custodians, especially mm-hmm. on waste and things like that. And then very importantly, management. And I'm really fortunate to have such supportive management. And I would like to extend a huge call out to my VCA hospital manager, Jessica Irwin, who's provided essential guidance and support. And also Jenny Sippel, a tech at Animal Care Center, who's really provided the needed link to staff and fostering engagement. And I'm truly heartened every day by how hard many of the staff work and stay on board. And many tasks like waste segregation do take more time, Mm -hmm. but they see those results every day. For example, in how much waste can be diverted from landfill. So it's very encouraging. You talked about measuring your carbon impact for yourself and for your family. Is there a way for a business to do that or a veterinary practice? Absolutely, there are. So at the Veterinary Sustainability Alliance, which I'm one of five directors, we're hopefully going to be producing a veterinary-specific carbon calculator for the US. Now, we haven't done that yet, but that's Mm -hmm. what we hope to do in the future. Vet Sustain, which is a UK-based nonprofit, they already have a veterinary carbon calculator, and I can provide a link to that. 
Um, it's on their Vet Sustain website. But yes, absolutely. And that's one of the things, doing an audit of yourself and your practice is a, a pathway to finding your solutions. If you don't know your impacts, you don't know what mitigative measures to enact or implement. And so that's very important. You're correct. We're going to talk about the Vet Sustainability Alliance a little bit later in the episode, but for now, can you share with me some opportunities that we have specifically in veterinary medicine to embrace more sustainable practices? Yeah, wow. Um, It's a big question, and Uh I'll I'll kind of give um, examples of what we're doing at our hospital as we move through as well to lessen our environmental impact. So basically everything. Starting with energy, the first two big ones that can be reduced to that scope one and two is many utilities are now increasingly sourcing the electricity from renewable and low or zero carbon sources. For instance, in California, in total, only about 46% is made up of natural gas and the remainder is made up of renewables with ever-increasing wind, solar, and geothermal sources. We use 100% renewable, low-carbon electrical sourcing at ACC. Mm -hmm. And Mars has led the way uh, building the huge wind farm in Fort Ridge in Illinois that can produce enough electricity to power all 2,000 US MVH-based hospitals. Now, scope two, this is where we kind of trying to electrify things. And so where possible, it's important to try to slowly replace gas or inefficient electrical appliances when they fail or become unfixable. Things like heat pumps for your HVAC or dryers or water heaters and using high energy star rated efficient appliances or devices for other electronic components around the hospital. Let's talk about some simple but important and effective actions that are easy to implement. And those things are, I mean, many of us are probably doing them, but like power down at night and switch off. And Mm -hmm. there was a VCA-wide campaign for this using the pun pause to turn off. Also, you know, avoid leaving appliances on standby. You can even automate this, you know, adjust your thermostats to 68 to 72 degrees, do cool wash or use low phosphorus detergents or non-phosphorus detergents, hang dry. Um, Much of the US is hot and dry in summer, and this is so easy, but unfortunately, rarely done. And, you know, at ACC, we've replaced all our lights with LED. We have mostly automated lights. We use fans, particularly in office and administrative areas. I mean, another big area is waste. Mm -hmm. So first of all, reduce waste. That's the key there. So this can be like not printing and going fully unelectronic, printing both sides or using eco-print or using recycled paper, you know, for waste segregation. Um, sometimes we need help understanding that in our particular area. So, you know, contacting the waste management provider to determine how best to divert some plastics that now often can be recycled. And these Mm -hmm. include things like larger polypropylene containers or PET bottles, et cetera. You know, at the animal care center, we take aluminum small pieces and make a ball out of them, you know, from suture material or scalpel, Mm-hmm. Uh, aluminium wrappers so they can be collected and separated at the facility we compost all our food we use biodegradable hand towels and have small compost bins stationed under every sink in our hospital and we actually engaged our local waste management facility and had them come out and teach us how we could better segregate our waste when we we're talking about you know carbon calculations so the other thing we did is we did a pilot waste audit and we've completed a baseline 
And then in nine months from now, we're going to repeat the audit and determine how successful we were implementing some of our new actions I described. And if we weren't, then we'll make adjustments. And if we were, we'll celebrate them. We're also transitioning to reusable sharps containers. And many of the listeners may have already done this. This is a really important way to limit waste. You know, they can be reused 600 to 1,000 times over. Wow. Thus reducing both manufacturing material waste and emissions. We obviously massively decrease the amount of plastic waste that goes into landfill. And they're much safer decreasing needle stick injuries. So lots of things there um, in the surgery, using single sleeve pouches, autoclaving on a more eco setting, using reusable surgical materials, including these new instrument tins for autoclaving mm-hmm. or reusable limited permeability drapes or limited permeability surgical gowns, wearing a cloth cap, a surgery cloth cap, using reusable air heating blankets and potty pads, you know, just so many things. And then kind of as we think in a large scale, you know, we need to kind of consider our antimicrobial and parasiticide product use. Think about sustainable pharmaceutical stewardship, which is of ever-increasing importance and consider you know, segregating medicine waste into appropriate designated bins. That's really important too. And our ACC pharmacy staff have really spearheaded this. So, you know, I know this can seem a little overwhelming, uh-huh. um, but I wanted to kind of go through so many of the things and you just have to consider them in many ways. And one just needs to elect some of the available paths and start down a path. Yeah, I never would have thought about contacting local waste management authorities to understand what's available in your area. I know when you and I spoke previously that in Sonoma County, it seems like they're very advanced in their sustainability efforts. And some of our listeners may not be in communities that are so advanced in in what they can offer, but they won't know until they find out, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think you just have to uh, approach them. And sometimes the the first person you talk to won't be um, as approachable, (laughs) um, but keep knocking on that door because there's (laughs) often someone um, that's actually very passionate about it. and, uh, And that's who I found. And we were very fortunate. Well, and I'm really glad that you mentioned the antimicrobial use and parasiticide use. We have Antimicrobial Awareness Week in November, so we'll be having some information coming out about that. It's not necessarily always lumped with sustainability, but it is a very important sustainability effort as well. So thank you for bringing that up. So Dick, and I've heard that there's some impacts from anesthetic gases on the environment. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's many ways that we can decrease the uh, anesthetic greenhouse gas uh, emissions. First and foremost, one of the most important things is to eliminate nitrous use and transition to sefluorine from isofluorine. And these are really easy, highly impactful steps that are not technically demanding. One area I'm particularly excited to explore is that of waste anesthetic gas capture at the point of exhaust. These devices absorb the WAGs or waste anesthetic gases, and then it's sent back to the company. The isofluorine or sefluorine is removed at about 99% efficiency, and then the absorption device and liquid anesthetic gas is sent back to one for use. This reduces impact from manufacturing of the gases and emissions release and provides a true circular economy. This industry is in its infancy, but once scalable and widely available, it's going to be really, really exciting. So there's much hope and things are changing very, very fast.
So let's talk a little bit more about something you mentioned previously, which is the Veterinary Sustainability Alliance. What does that group do and who can join? So anyone can join and we would love new members. We welcome members from any part of the veterinary profession, including academia, private practice and industry and all veterinarian students, techs and support staff. We're even giving away a free T-shirt with a donation of more than $50. <laughs> We're a nonprofit promoting sustainable veterinary practice methods and general awareness of anthropogenic climate change and the impacts on ourselves, our animals and the planet. Hopefully, we're going to have members join one of our working groups, particularly you know, whether it be the clinical or education policy or fundraising group, and try to help continue to create and add content. Well, I have visited the website. It looks great. And uh, I'm looking forward to becoming a member because it's important and you're providing me a lot of education and a lot of things to think about as well. So you've used the word anthropogenic a couple of times. Just in case somebody out there doesn't understand what that means, can you define that for me? Yeah, so anthropogenic means uh, human cause. Mm -hmm. Okay. It basically says that, yes, we have climate change that will have occurred for millennia due to many different causes, but we are now talking about human-based change, mostly associated with carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, as well as fluorocarbon emissions. That's what we're truly talking about when we talk about that. And obviously, then there are other effects regarding pollution and water pollution and land use. I'm really proud that sustainability is incredibly important for Mars at all levels, including Mars Veterinary Health. Can you give me a couple of examples of how you've partnered with VCA and Mars Vet Health to look toward the future? Yeah. So Larry Cohen, the VCA Sustainability Director, and Margot Mosher, the Global MVH Sustainable Director, particularly amongst so many others, now have really embraced and helped implement so many truly transformative sustainable practice methods and co-created multiple pilots. Now, Mars, sponsored through Royal Canaan, uh, a local Sonoma County Veterinary Medical Society dinner lecture that I gave back in April. Mm -hmm. And last month, MVH co-sponsored the UC Davis on the road lecture that I gave on sustainability in veterinary medicine. And I'm just so very proud to work for such a forward-thinking company as Mars. Mars is a true leader, um, and we should all feel proud to be part of this transition to a more circular and sustainable economy. Well, that's wonderful, and I'm very proud as well. This is great work that's going on, and I'm very thankful for all of your efforts. And we're nearing the end of our time together. So in closing, can you share what you recommend for those listening who really want to get more involved? Uh, start with many of the smaller, easy-to-implement actions I discussed and, and get the majority of the staff on board and, and build from there. Put a multi-laminate pet food bag to recycle box in your lobby to encourage clients and staff to better dispose of these hard-to-recycle bags. It also overtly promotes your sustainability proposition. You know? Have a vegan or vegetarian options available on catered staff lunches. Use China cups for coffee in the waiting room rather than you know, throwaway disposables. Have water dispensers and reusable bottles and no single-use plastics. And that goes for things like crockery and cutlery for staff use as well. Like we were just talking about, you know, speak with your waste management facilities. You'll be surprised at what a great resource they can be. Utilize the resources such as Veterinary Sustainability Alliance and others. And I want to emphasize that General practitioners are the real guardians of pet health. So promoting sound pet caretaking with desexing, 
keeping their environment safe, promoting dental, skin and general hygiene, promoting sustainable breeding practices are really important. And this can decrease suffering and reduces expensive, intensive specialty health care. In human medicine, there's a huge push to keeping people healthy mm-hmm. and out of hospital by promoting good diet, you know, healthy lifestyle, given so many de- diseases have some preventability. And listeners need to know that they're not alone. And likely many people in the practice and likely surrounding practices will be thinking about the impacts of medical practice as well, especially waste, which is so obvious. So, you know, consider making a vet sustainability community or maybe a sustainability subgroup within your local veterinary medical association. Remember, step one is get your management on board and step two is create that sustainability core team, which is essential because involving all areas of the practice is imperative to onboard the transition. Remember that every sustainable step we take at work can be amplified several magnitudes if we take it home and discuss it with our family, friends, and wider community. You know, celebrate what you do. So you can read widely, think critically, question everything, <laughs> investigate everything, and in the words of climate scientist Dr. Hayho, talk about it. There are many great sources of information other than Veterinary Sustainability Alliance, which we've just been discussing. I'd suggest listeners read the many excellent articles and book by Dr. Colleen Duncan from Colorado State, also Dr. Ellie West, an anesthetist from UK, and Dr. Harfakree, a surgeon and director of UK-based Vet Sustain. Vet Sustain now has an eight-hour carbon literacy veterinary course with Jane Gale that I did and is fantastic. And Vets for Climate Action Australia has a new online extensive climate care program course that you can do over a year. There are also two great books, one by Kathy Gerwig of Kaiser called Greening Healthcare and Sustainable Healthcare with multiple UK authors, which is fantastic. And I can provide all those references for your listeners. And as a reminder, any of the links that were mentioned today in this episode can be found in the show notes. Well, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. And I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. And I look forward to a better, more sustainable future. So, Dickon, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's great. And for all of the education that you're providing. And I really appreciate you being here. Thank you, Marie. And all that were involved with this podcast for helping spread the word. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing. Don't forget to leave a review to let us know your thoughts and share the episode with friends. Follow VCA Animal Hospitals on social media at LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. For more inspiring stories, visit our website at vcavoice.com. Thank you.